0: We're going to launch directly into part two of our Direction series. How many of you all were here last week when we launched this series called Direction? Yeah, so this is a good, this is going to be, I told you last week, this is going to be like the most pragmatic, practical sermon series that I've ever preached. The goal of this series is to help you apply God and me, apply God's direction to our life in every area of our life. Like we're going to go on a road trip in life and we're going to follow God's direction for every area of our life. Somebody say every area of our life, even the areas where we don't particularly want to follow God's direction, especially the areas where we don't particularly want to follow God's direction, because we know that God's direction will bring us joy and it's ultimately for our good. And so what I thought I would do this morning is to start us off with a topic that's not controversial it's very easy. We'll just ease right into it. It's not going to be a problem. It won't make anybody nervous. It's just going to be one of those easy-peasy kind of conversations that we're going to have today. So today I'm just going to preach on the topic of God and money. Like, it's not a problem, right? Let's go. All right. Front row says let's go. Um, I know if you brought a guest today. Your friend, you're starting to tense up right now. You're starting to be like, oh, my gosh. What, what, why is the preacher going to talk about money today? Uh, well, we're going to talk about it in a way that is going to be to your good and is going to help you flourish because God actually wants you to flourish uh, in life. He doesn't want you to be constrained. So this is a sermon where we want to give something to you. We don't want to take something from you. All right. God has something that he wants you to learn and he grow in. And so what I want to do today to get us started, kind of break the ice is uh, we did this experiment about four or five years ago and nobody, nobody got hurt. So we're going to try it again. All right. And here's what I want you to do all across the congregation, reach into your pocket or your purse. I want you to take out your wallet or your checkbook. Man, you're nervous. Look at, just do it. Just trust me for a second. Just take out your wallet or your, or your checkbook or whatever represents material wealth, whatever represents your stuff. Some of you guys buy stuff on Venmo so you can take out your phone. Whatever it is that's got your stuff attached to it. All right? Take it out. Take it out. Okay, now we're going to do a trust exercise. You ready? Ready? I want you to give that to somebody near you, not a spouse. Although, in some cases, that might require more trust than giving it to a complete stranger. (laughs) Give it to somebody next to you. Here, somebody take take that, Joe. All right. Hand it off. Hand it over. Okay? All right. Everybody hand it off all of their earthly goods. Everybody good? Handed it off? All right, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. Ready? What we're going to do is now we're going to take an offering, and I want you to give like you've never given before. All right, I'm just kidding. All right, give them them their money back. Give them their money back. All right. Give it back. Is everything in there, Joe? Is everything still? Okay. There wasn't much in there. All right.
1: Here's, here's the reality
0: about finances, about money, about resources. The Bible talks about money all of the time. Like if you Google God and money or scripture on money, there are I, I could preach 14 sermons, and I tried to in the first service, so I'm only going to try to preach one today. But, but there's so much in there because God actually has a, uh, a, a plan, a destination for our life. But a lot of times with respect to finances, we go on detours. Anybody ever been on a financial detour where you ended up in a situation where you didn't intend to end up financially? Um, God has direction for our life with respect to money because he has a destination for us to get to. He doesn't want us to go on a detour. In fact, so important is money uh, in our life that the scripture actually shows that money is one of the greatest competitors for our allegiance, for the allegiance of our heart. God said, Jesus says it like this. I love how Jesus introduces He says, nobody can serve two masters. Nobody can serve two. You're either going to hate one and love the other one, or you're going to be devoted to the one and you're going to despise the other one. And then he says, you cannot serve both God and money. Why is money the the ultimate competition for the allegiance of our heart? Why is money juxtaposed with God as a possible master for our heart and a possible master for our heart? For our lives, well, think about this. Money touches everything that you do. Money touches every part of your life. What you eat, where you go to school, wh- what you wear, you know who you, where you grew up, what friends you, you made, uh, what neighborhood you grew up in. It, literally, every aspect of your life is touched by money, which makes money extremely important. Right? Money is very important. In fact, here's the here's the problem. Money is so important that it threatens to become ultimate. This is what Jesus is talking about. Money is so important in our life that it threatens to become ultimate. It threatens to take over our allegiance. It threatens to, to compete with our love for God. And God says, look, I, I, don't, I don't want money to be your master. I want to be your master, right? So God tries at, at, at the very beginning of the, of the scriptures to reorient to give us an understanding of the flow of possessions in life, what they mean, what they're for, what he's for, what our relationship with them is. And I want to start with the principle of priority today. I want to actually start with the very first four, the very first four uh, 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 words in the Bible. I want you to read this scripture with me. Uh, bring up yeah, that first, Genesis. it says, in the beginning, God. Here's what I want you to get. I want you to get this. Before anything existed, there was only God. Amen. Like, imagine this. Just track with me for a minute. Yeah. Before there was a universe, before there was time, before there was space, before there was a sun, before there was a moon, before there were stars, before all of that, there was God, only God. God only. Right? That's all there was. God then had a thought. The thought is, I'm going to start creating some stuff. And so God began, we learned, to create the universe. And he put this, this process in place. And he began to create the universe. And over time, he actually created human beings. And the scripture says this about us in Genesis 1, verse 27. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then it says this. God blessed them. In other words, he favored us and he said to us, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. And then look at this word rule. Hold on to this rule over the fish in the sea. I want you to be stewards. I want you to, I want you to be in in charge. I want you to rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the, on the ground. And the next part he says, then God said, next verse, I give you, right? I give you. I want you to rule, and I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They are going to be yours for food. At the very beginning of the Bible, we learn the, the, the breakdown of the relationship between God, us, and everything else. You want to know what that breakdown looks like? Here's what it looks like. God is the owner. God owns everything. Why? He made everything. He manufactured it. He designed it. He owns the patent, the trademark. He's, it's his, everything that exists, he designed it, he made it, it's his. God is the owner. But then we learn in the scripture that you and I are the supervisors or the stewards or the managers, whatever word works for you. But he says, I want you to rule over this stuff. I want you to, I want you to be in charge of my stuff. I made everything and I'm, and I'm going to have you manage it, right? Which makes everything else God's property that is in our possession. Are you tracking everything that exists on the planet, everything that exists in the universe belongs to God. Literally everything. He made it all. He has allowed us to access it. He has given it to us for for us to manage, for us to supervise, but for our good and for His glory. That's that's from the beginning of the scripture. That's what we learn. Literally everything that exists is His. So this is the very first thing we've got to understand. Otherwise, we will allow, we will get this story upside down. What will happen is, Stuff will be the owner. Are you tracking? Stuff will be the master. Your money will be your master. You will be the servant of your money. You will be the servant of your stuff. Your stuff will dictate where to go, where not to go, what to do, what not to do. Your stuff will be in charge. God then will be your slave who you will ask, hey God, can you please help me serve my master money? Can you just please help me get out of debt? Can you just please help me get a better job? Can you just please? And now you've you've inverted the, the, the paradigm of life where God's on top, we're supervising, and we're supervising his stuff. We, we will invert that if we allow money to become our master, and then money rules us. We become the servant. God becomes our slave. Are you tracking with me? What God wants us to know is like, no, 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 that's, that's not the paradigm. The paradigm is it's mine. You're managing it, and then this is mine that you're managing, right? I want to give you one illustration of this. Does anybody have a $20 bill? Like something that wasn't like brand new, brand not a real crispy one, like a little rumpled one, little rumpled twenty dollar bill. Anybody got one? Everybody does Venmo these days. Can I? Can I? Can I take a twenty? Yeah. I mean, borrow a twenty. <laughs> there you go. Hand that. Oh, I don't know if you want to give it to him. Okay, you can give it. To him. Okay. Right. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Okay. This is a twenty dollar bill. This twenty dollar bill was printed in two thousand. 2017, glasses. Okay, 2017. Federal Reserve approximates that a $20 bill will pass through 50 hands a year, right? So, a hun- so <laughs> the folks in the house just freaked out. Um, this, this has been in the possession of approximately 100 people over the last two years. Approximately 100 people. What that means is that no one ever owned this. People have possessed it, and it's just moved along, right? In fact, before this was printed, you know what this was? It was a tree. It was a tree. And before that, it was an acorn. And before that, it was dirt. And before that, it was like magma or something, or a single-celled organism. I'm not, biology is not my, my forte. But before that, it was, and you know what? Before that, it was nothing. Before that, it didn't exist. So this is God's. That God gives to us to manage it according to our good and to His glory. Amen? All right, I'm going to give that back to you. Fully in effect. All the way back. Boom. Okay. So, the question that I want you and me and us to ponder this morning, the question that we're pondering with respect to God's direction for our money is this Is money your servant or is it your master? Is it your servant? Or is it your master? Is it, the, is it the source of your identity? Right? Or is God the source of your identity? Right? Is it the, is it the means of your security? Or is God the means of your security? Well, which is it? Is, God, is, is money your servant? Or is money your master? Because what God wants, and he teaches us this in, in his word, is he wants us to be rulers over the things that he puts in our life. He wants us to be in charge of them. He doesn't want money to be in charge of you. He wants you to be in charge of money. He doesn't want finances to be in charge of you. He wants you to be in charge of that because it's all his, and it belongs to him. So he gives us, in his word, directions about how to establish a relationship with money that falls in order with the the correct paradigm that he lays out. Are you guys tracking with me this morning? Because we're just going right into the deep end. We're just going straight in there. And here's the very first direction he gives us with respect to money. Very first direction is this, and it is give first. Now, if you're like me, you're going to intuitively go, "Okay, wait a minute. God created everything, then He gives it to us. Why does He need it back? What, that I don't, I don't, know, I don't understand it. Why does God need me to give Him something? And the reality is, God does not need anything. God doesn't need anything. In fact. From the very beginning of, of the establishment of our church, I've said it over and over. This church is not a church of need. We do not have needs. God does not have needs. God has everything, right? God owns everything, so he does not have needs. And in case we get it twisted in our mind and we think, well, God, now you want me to give back to you. You must need something from me. Here's what he says. He says, I have, I have no need. This is what he said. I have no need. This is God. I don't need your, your a bull from your stall, <laughs> That means I don't need your PayPal account. I don't need the modern equivalent. I don't need the goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine. And the cattle on a thousand hills, it's all mine, he says. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. He says, look, in fact, I know they're mine so much that if I was hungry, I wouldn't even tell you. Because there's nothing that you could give me. I would not tell you for the world is mine and all that is in it. So we have to begin with the understanding that everything belongs to God. And giving to him is not because he needs us. He does not need us to give to him. In fact, it's just the opposite. We give because it's good for us. It's not, we don't give because it's good for him. We give because it's good for us. Jesus put it like this. He said, give and it will be given to you a Good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, and this is not just money, this is everything this is a, if you give generosity, if you give kindness, if you give goodness, if you it comes back to you this is just a principle this is a reality this is not by the way this is not um, the um, prosperity gospel, okay I just want to be clear on that i 'm not saying that if you give something to God, then he will heal your male pattern baldness that's not the, that's not the <laughs> Okay, some of you guys are like, forget it then. I'm out. Out of here. It's not a a, an exchange. It's not a transaction. God does not do transactions. He's not asking you to give so that he can give you something. (laughs) Joe, man, I love you, bro. Come on, man. Pound it out, man. Come on, man. Yes. I love it. Um, He's not not saying give and 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 then because if you if you transact with me, he's not saying give to get. He's saying there is a principle in life that happens that whatever you give and whatever measure you give, it comes back to you. That's just the reality. So God wants you to give because it's good for you to give. If you're a person that had a bad experience in church or you've listened to too many TV preachers or you're freaked out about this whole idea, then let me let me tell you something. Google every secular study from every social scientist on the idea of the effectiveness or the value or the power of generosity. Because what you're going to find is that giving is good for you. And it almost doesn't matter what you give to unless it's something really bad. If you give to anything that's good, it's good for you. It's good for your health. It's good for your mental health. It's good for your physical health. It increases your longevity. It decreases depression. It increases your sense of purpose. It builds relationships. I mean, it literally, it does everything for you. It makes your breath smell better, actually. Did you know that? It's, it's just a, it's a thing. It's, it's, it's just a reality. It's the truth about giving. And here's why God wants us to give, not because he needs, but because of this. Number one is it communicates authority. It reminds you and me who's in charge. Because if, I, if I'm afraid to give, that means I'm controlled by that which I'm afraid to give. Are you tracking with me? If I give something, that means I must be in charge of it. That means I must have enough. That means I must have more than I need. And so I'm going to give a piece because I'm establishing for myself and for God. God, you're in charge. I'm supervising your stuff and your stuff is yours. Okay. And so I'm going to give a piece because I'm going to remind myself of that flow. I'm going to remind myself of that pattern. I'm going to remind myself and I'm going to remind you and I'm going to communicate to you that I understand how this works, that I'm not a slave to it. Right. You are liberated by giving something away. The second reason he wants you to do it is because it requires trust. He says I'm a God of abundance, not a God of scarcity. And when you give something, what you're signaling to yourself is that I trust there will be more. If I don't trust in God, I will not give anything away. Because if I give it away, I might never get anything else. I might be terrified and I might be, you know, afraid. And this is what happens when people are not generous. And this is this is church folk, non-church folk. You could be an atheist you know, an agnostic, wherever you land on the spectrum, the same principle applies. It's the same exact principle. When people are not generous, their world gets smaller and smaller and shrinks and shrinks until it's just them. And it's a very lonely place. It's a very impoverishing place to be all by yourself. So it says, when when you give, you're actually, it requires trust. Now he's saying, look, I want you to put my trust, your trust in me, not your trust in your money. And when you give, you're, you're establishing that trust. The third one is you're establishing partnership with God. This is the crazy thing about God. He wants to establish his kingdom on, on the planet. He wants the world to look a certain way. And this is where I, you know, where I think he might be partly crazy. Is that he has, he has assigned us to build the world the way he wants it to be. Like we are the answer. We're, that, we're, we're plan A. And to my knowledge... There's no plan B at this point. And so he's saying, "Look, I want you to partner with me. I want you to rule. I want you to be in charge and I want you to build the world the way that I that I deem it fit." In other words, I want I want my kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. Who's going to do that? You and I are going to do that. How do we do that? We partner with him. We we build ministries, we plant churches. We we, you know, we establish missions organizations we build the world, we bring people and God together in love. We do that. When we give, we partner with him in, in, in his vision or in his mission. If I have a financial advisor and I give my financial advisor my money and he's going to partner with me and I say, here's what I want you to do with my money, and then he goes and buys a yacht with it, well, then he has breached our partnership agreement. God's saying, look, I, I'm giving you this and I'm assigning you to go use it for, the, for your good and for my glory. And so we, when we give, we actually are partnering we're partnering with God. We're in partnership with Him. So, how do we do it? How, what's the practical way that we actually do it? The first thing is we we make it a priority. We make it a priority. This is the principle of priority. This is the principle of first things first. If 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 you ever go to a if you ever if you ever go to a, a, a it's, it's, if you ever go to a buffet. anybody ever go to buffets? Buffet. Buffet. The problem with buffets is that you can go back and get. Seconds. If you know, if you just get a plate of food, somebody serves you, you're only going to eat what's on the plate, unless your wife didn't finish hers, and then you can sometimes, you know, or your children. But 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 if you go to a buffet, you're you're going to eat more. Here's the thing: if we don't establish giving as a priority, we'll just consume and consume and consume, and then we won't have anything to give at the end, right? This will just happen if you just get if you just. Don't put giving first, then what will happen is at the end of the month, you'll be scrouging in the in the couch cushions to find some change to give to God. And God says, that's not that's not the dynamic. I want you to give first. And I want you to give in fact the scripture talks about it as a they call it the first fruits. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with your first fruits. So so make it a priority. Say, God, this is yours. I'm gonna give you this first. This is the first thing that I'm going to do. And again, if 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 you're not a God person, try it. In some secular organization. But give first. Because if you don't give first, you'll have nothing left to give. Alright? So he says, first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty. And your vats will be bursting with, with wine. We set it up years ago. My, my wife and I agreed. We're going to just set this up. It's just going to be a thing that we do. Because we were trying to figure out how to do finances. And we finally thought, alright, why don't we do it God's way? Why don't we take his direction? And so we just built it in our, to our bank account. Bank of America. Boom. Every month it goes out the same thing. It just goes out. It goes out with the mortgage. It goes out with the electric bill. It just goes out. I don't even see it. Check comes in, then the money goes out. And, and it's set up that way because at the end of the month, guess what? I'm not loaded at the end of the month, okay? And if I, if I waited until the end of the month, I wouldn't be able to give. So that's just how, how we do it. So the first principle in giving is priority. The second one is percentage. Percentage. So we are, our church, from our inception, many of you know this, Our church, from its inception, we have always given away 10% of the unrestricted money that is given to the church. That's part of our bylaws. That's what we did from day one. So at the end of the first quarter of our church, uh, we sat down and wrote two checks. And some of our founding trustees remember this. We wrote a check to Avenues Counseling, and we wrote a check to Kingdom House. And in fact, the Kingdom House executive guys came the following Sunday, and they actually came. And they were here, and I remember they approached me, and they're like, what are you guys doing? And we said, well, what do you mean? And they said, you guys have been around for a week. We've been around for 150 years. Why are you giving to us, right? And we said, that's a priority for us, and we're a a tithing church, so we give away 10%. So we just gave you 10% of our first quarter of what came in. They were blown away. But over the years, that has been able to expand by God's blessing. We've given away hundreds of thousands of dollars over the years to organizations all over the city, all over the state, all over the world, (laughs) planting missions organizations. It's been awesome. It's been amazing. It's one of my very favorite parts of being a pastor is that we get to do this. And it's awesome. I can't highlight all of the groups. If you want to find out who we we support, go onto our website and you can look at it. I, I do want to highlight one this morning. It's a group called Elevate St. Louis. This is one of our partner missions. You guys, we have dozens of partner organizations. But I love what these guys do. Uh, And a lot of the people that are involved in this are here at our church. Frank Bell is the executive director. Frank, are you here this morning? Where are you? There you are, Frank. This is Frank Bell. So Frank Bell. Frank Bell is the executive director. Um, Kirk Williams is on the board. Kirk, will you stand up? Yeah. Is Gene Quarles here? Gene Quarles? There you go, Gene. Will you stand up? Gene Quarles is here. So look, let me just tell you this. This is their mission. I love this. They're in Ferguson Florida School District. Their mission is build long-term, life-changing relationship with urban youth, equipping them to thrive and contribute to our community. Listen to the, listen to the students. This L- is the students they're serving. 80% of the students enrolled are from single-parent homes. 99% are in the free and reduced lunch category. Uh, 50% um, fall at or below the poverty line. 75% of students that they serve report that they either that either they or a close family member has been a victim of a violent crime. 75%. 25 percent of them report that they don't have enough to eat. So, this is the people that you guys are serving. This is the this is this is the people when you give, when you give to one family church, part of what you're doing is you are giving through One Family Church to organizations like this. Here's what they do. They give life skills. They do character classes. They do mentoring. They do college and career planning. They do adventure, uh, team building, leadership events. And 86% of their students, after they graduate, either enroll in college, the military, or trade school. 86%. They have a massively <laughs> high success rate. And they've only been around for in St. Louis. How long have you guys been here, Frank? Two years? Two years. Two years? They've been here two years in St. Louis. They're already the fastest growing chapter in the United States. They're they're doing better than every other chapter in the United States. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. We get to be a part of what God is doing through them. Yeah. Why? Because we give. Because we've established that this is a priority. We set a percentage. And this is what we do in life. This is how we build God's kingdom. We partner with God to serve students in Ferguson... Right, by partnering with people who are doing it. This is so. If you want to make, if you want to invest a portion of your income into something powerful and good, you should give. You should give. If you don't trust churches or you don't, you know, if you've had a bad experience, just just give, give to them, give it directly. But give, set it, make it a priority. Get, set a percentage and say, this is what we're going to do. Here's what I would recommend with the percentage. Feel it. Make it an amount that you feel right some of you and i'm not a hardcore on tithing we tithe the church tithes i believe it as a principle it's important but some people if they tithe they wouldn't be able to pay their rent and and you know our house is full you cannot live in with us so you know there's no no room <laughs> at the end so but start somewhere start somewhere and 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 give an amount that matters give an amount that requires that you give that that some you don't do something else Amen. all right L- let it matter the scripture says where your treasure is, there your heart is. So if it's not a treasure to you, your heart's not gonna go there, right? So give something that matters, right? And, and that's the third part of this, which is progressive, the third principle. Oh yeah, let me give you this scripture real quick. I'm sorry, I, I, I juked you on that. Each of you should give what you have decided. Decide what you're gonna give. Pray about this, okay? I'm not gonna tell you what to give. You decide. Uh, decide it in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and then it says this, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, you're going to have what you need. Put your trust in him. You're going to be fine. You'll have what you need. You will abound in every good work. All right? The third principle on giving is progressive. What that means is if you win the lottery, you know, give a little more. How about that? Like, like let, it, let, it, let it grow as you grow. Let it, let it go forward as you go forward in life. Uh, because when you give... Uh, it's, 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 it's a process that just keeps flowing. In fact, I love this script. This is one of my favorite scriptures on giving. It says one person gives freely and yet they gain even more because they give freely. They gain even more. Another person withholds unduly, right? Another person that just scrapes it together and holds it all in and comes to poverty. I don't, I don't know if that means maybe, maybe material poverty in some cases, but I think it's at least spiritual poverty, right? If you're, this is you, you're impoverished. You're impoverished. Give something away and see what happens to your life. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Will be refreshed. So those are the principles of giving. This is the first principle that God gives us. He tells us to give, uh, make it a priority, give a consistent percentage, and then progress through it. Let this be a part of your life, right? So that's his first principle. You good with that? Everybody good with that? Amen. Now, second principle is this. First one is give first. Second one is save second. Save second. And again, this principle apply, is, is from the scripture and it applies to your life. It applies to my life because God knows that we tend to consume everything that comes in if we don't give it away and save it early on. In fact, if you want to read about if you want to read about saving, read, read the Proverbs. Here's what the Proverbs said. The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp their down, gulp theirs down. I've been on both sides of that dynamic myself. I, when, I was, when I was in my 20s, I lived in LA and I was so broke. I had no, I wasn't following God. I, sure, I certainly wasn't applying his direction in the area of money or anywhere else in that, in that regard, anywhere. And so my, my dynamic was, here's how I knew if I was okay for that day. I went to the ATM, I put the card in. If anything came out, I was good, anything. I mean, I had so many overdraft fees. That like Because I had it all upside down. I was gulping it all down as soon as it came in. It was a bad situation. I ended up in debt, and it was a bad situation. I had to fight really hard after I became a follower of Jesus to start getting out of it, right? Because I wasn't following his principle and his plan and his direction. And what happens when we don't, the reason he wants us to follow it is because, again, he wants to remi- he wants us to remember money is not our master. And when we don't follow it, we get upside down. In fact, here's what he says. Proverbs 22 says, the borrower is servant to the lender. So if you get upside down, then suddenly, now you're a slave again. Now you're a servant again. Now you're being dictated to. Now you're being told what to do. And now money rules you, right? And he says, that's not what I want for you. I want you to experience the freedom and the joy and the power of being in charge of the stuff that I have given to you. Are you tracking with me this morning? This is good stuff, somebody. This is really good. You should write this down. This is good stuff. All right, the last thing I want to tell you is this. Okay, I'm I'm, I'm giving. Okay, I'm saving. Now, what do I do with the rest? What do I do? What do I what do I do with the rest? Well, what do I do in good times and bad? What do I do in in situations when I'm when I'm when I'm flourishing? And what do I do in situations where I'm just I'm grounding out at the bottom? What What do I do? The Apostle Paul writes this letter to a pastor, and and, and or to the Philippians, and I love what he says and I want you to get this I want you to absorb this here's what he says he says you know man I've learned to be content I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances what that does not mean it does not mean be apathetic doesn't mean apathetic is a different word it's not it's a different word he's not saying like "Um, don't try to make money no if you're a person who likes to make money and you're good at making money go make money right what he's saying is don't let money be in charge of your happiness. Don't let it be in charge of your joy. Don't let it be in charge of your identity and of your security and of your well-being. Don't let it be in charge of you. I've learned to be content. He says, when I'm, when I'm rolling and when I'm dead broke, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. And here's what I've learned. He said, I've learned the secret. Go to that next slide. I've learned the secret of being content. I mean, what that means is God is God is my cup and my portion. Right. My circumstances are not my cup and my portion. If my circumstances were my cup and my portion, sometimes I would be shakable and sometimes I would be unshakable. Yeah. Sometimes I would be stirred and sometimes I would be unstirred. Sometimes I would be I would be happy and sometimes I would be in the depths of despair if anything but God is my cup and my portion. Right. Right? So he says, no, I don't want that for you. Content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. How do I get that? How do I experience that? Here's what he says. I do it through him who... Help me out. He I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm giving you everything you need. My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. That's what the scripture says, which means... His riches in glory means everything, right? It's his. He's going to take care of you. And he's going to walk you through life. He wants you to put your trust in him. He wants you to follow his direction. He doesn't want you enslaved by your servitude to money. He wants you to be free of that. He wants you to be liberated from that. So the last thing I want to say is this. Live with gratitude and contentment no matter the circumstances. God's got you. God is with you. I want to close right quickly here uh, with, a, with a story from a couple in our church. This is a couple in our church. Their names are Nathan and Tamara Shad. Uh, they said I could share this. And um, this is a couple, uh, millennials, they've been, uh, in, they were in a bad situation in their life. They were deep in debt. They were $50,000 in debt. And they were struggling because they were not following God's direction with respect to finances. And what they started to realize, they were pretty early in their marriage, and they started to realize that if they kept going down this path, it was ultimately going to lead them to a dead end. It was just going to get worse. It was getting worse and worse. And so they came to an agreement as a couple. Look, we're going to start applying God's direction to our life. And we're going to to start being content with what we have, meaning we're going to start getting rid of debt. We're going to start giving. We're going to start saving. We're going to start following God's direction. In our life. We're gonna to put together a little emergency fund. They started doing the Dave Ramsey course. If any of you guys know that, but they actually just started started saying, All right, maybe we maybe we should listen to God's direction on this topic instead of our own. And and they began this process. Here's what they wrote. Here's what Tamara wrote. She said, Sadly, our journey to debt freedom wasn't as fast or as easy as we had hoped. We certainly didn't plan for it to take seven and a half years. It was a process. Our original estimate was three years. Here's a summary list of some of the big, sometimes repeating financial setbacks that happened to us. We had to replace four phones. We had to replace five computers. It says we had a rough time with computers. I don't know what you guys were doing with computers, but five is a lot. Chief computers? No, I uh, we not we, 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 we had to replace three cars. Some of those cars had major repairs along the way. We moved three times across state lines. Nathan went back to school two times. The first time, we realized partway through that it wasn't going to work out career-wise. We had six layoffs or contracts ended. And a few times, she says, our income dropped to zero. No money coming in. We spent way too much on medical expenses, over $10,000. That does not include health insurance. When you're not making much, there's a lot to which you have to say no. Splurging on coffees or lunches out rarely happened. Sometimes if Nathan and I thought we needed something as simple as getting an extra hand towel so that we had more than two, we had to discuss how to work this into our budget and what food we were not buying this month. When things were really tight, we would calculate out how much a meal would cost us, and we would diligently divide out the portions exactly. You'd think I'd be skinnier, honestly. (laughs) And we were always taking on side jobs or trying to find ways to bring in cash. We babysat, pet sat, house sat. I cleaned houses. We did freelance, writing, and publishing. We didn't have much to sell, but often for our own moves, we would try to sell things to parse stuff down, and Nathan sold off what school books he he could. We would freeze during the winter and burn up during the summer, squeezing as much out of the thermostat as we could stand and still function. We bought used refurbished furniture and phones when our old ones would die. We had dumb phones as opposed to smartphones. They had dumb phones. Dumb phone, (laughs) Dumb phones up until a few years ago, we just, just so we wouldn't have to pay for a data plan, for a time we considered the dollar menu at McDonald's to be a treat. I can't tell you how many of our clothes had holes in them that we would hide with layering or try to patch up so it wasn't noticeable. This might make us sound superheroic, but we've got to come clean. What has made this journey possible has been this amazing, has been the amazing people that have supported us. Our families were incredibly supported throughout this entire process helping us out to be able to visit them, sending us home with food and gifts. We've been blessed with folks that have helped us move, that have provided meals for us, especially during some of our medical trials, have offered us jobs when we needed income, have prayed for us, and just been straight up encouraging when times have been difficult. We would also be remiss not to mention how greatly God has blessed us through this journey. Even at the toughest moments, he has shown shown himself faithful. He doesn't guarantee that life will always be a walk in the park. He does, however, promise to be with us whether we're climbing up mountains or tumbling into valleys. We truly have felt his presence all along the way. Was it easy? No. Was it worth it? Absolutely. In conclusion, we're not just thr- we're in conclusion, we're just thrilled to say we are now debt-free. Debt-free. I tell you what, I tell you what I love most about that What I love most about that is the last word, free. Because at some point in their life, they said, you know what? We're going to apply God's direction to this very sensitive, difficult, controversial, worrisome part of our life. The part of our life that is intertwined with all of the fabric of our life. The part of our life that threatens our allegiance to God. It threatens to become our master. And we're going to apply God's principles to that. And it wasn't the snap of a finger. The Rolls Royce apparently did not land in your driveway. They, it, it was a process. It took time. But God said, look, I want to get you from here, where you are, which was, which was drowning in debt, to there, where I want you to be. Where I'm your master, not money. Where possessions are, are, are in your possession but they're my property, and you are managing what I've given you to manage. You're a good steward of what I've given you to steward. That's what I want for you because when you're doing that, you're free. So my prayer for each and every one of you today, because I know many of you are struggling financially. Not even just without, people without money. People with a lot of money are struggling financially. It's, 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 it could be a toxic discussion in relationships between couples. One of the biggest, biggest Uh, Issues or challenges with couples. One of the highest levels of stress and anxiety that you'll ever experience is around money. All you college students who aren't making any money yet, right? And you're just getting debt. You're piling up debt. You're going, oh my God, how's this all going to work out? Let me just, please, just let me encourage you. Put your trust in God. Apply his direction to your life. Help him. Let him help you to get from here to there. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you with gratitude for your your powerful words on this very difficult topic. We are thankful, God, that you give us clear instruction, that you teach us, Lord, how to, how to honor you, how to bless you, how to, how, to, how to steward your stuff. We are thankful, God, for those possessions that you've put in, uh, in our, under our responsibility. And God, we just pray that you would give us the wisdom, the strength to manage it well. We pray, Lord God, that we would apply the direction that you've given us so that we can flourish in our lives and that money will not be over us, but we will be liberated from the control of it. And Father, we just ask that you would do this in a way that brings glory to you and praise and honor to you. And we're just grateful to be a part of it. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen.